Welcome to the Duet Partner Podcast. As somebody who has two degrees in music, um, I found myself a bit frustrated, you know, when I opened my own studio because I realized, like, I have no idea what to do to run a business. Sarah Campbell is savvy. Not only is she the face and force behind Savvy Music Studio, a music studio coaching service, but she recognized early on in her career that she needed to teach herself how to be a successful small business owner. She now passes her hard-won insights on to other music teachers, helping them maximize marketing efforts, streamline communication, and exude professionalism. My mom actually attempted to teach me piano lessons when I was really young, probably four or five. And, you know, that lasted for like three days before yeah. <laughs> she realized, hey, I probably need to get somebody else to uh, to teach my child. And, and so I started piano lessons um, at a young age and I started singing um, at school and in church and and eventually I found my ways, uh, found my way to uh, taking voice lessons uh, when I was about 14. And, you know, it was back in the day when um, basically no voice teacher would touch anybody that was under the age of 14 saying the voice was too young and um, which was a bit disappointing but I did find a lot of opportunities um, in different choirs and uh, some some really fabulous teachers along the way who guided me great yeah my mother was just as an aside my mother taught voice for many years at the end of her career and she wouldn't take anybody under I think 16 so. And now with, uh, I have a teenager who's interested in singing and I, and I know that that can be a little bit frustrating when they're, they're enthusiastic and ready to go. It's kind of the opposite problem with instrumentalists, right? <laughs> you start them so young. Um, so, so, so did you, did you pursue music education? Uh, did you ever think about being a professional musician or a music teacher as you were growing up or how did that develop? Yeah. Um, I, you know, in high school, choir was like, the choir room was my home. <laughs> I basically lived there. And um, I did a lot of uh, competing with, uh, you know, districts, regionals, all state, that kind of a thing. Um, and I I decided in my junior year that I was going to study uh, voice in college. So I went for a performance degree um, in undergraduate. And um, I wanted to double major in piano and voice. But of course, they, they told me like, you can't possibly do that. And they were 100% correct. There's no way that you could probably handle that kind of a load. Um, but I did, uh, I did take lessons in both both um, instruments throughout college. And uh, initially, I um, wanted to be a conductor. That was mm. actually the director that I want uh, the, the direction that I wanted to go. Um, but you know, plans shift. And uh, so I found myself um, in uh, grad school uh, studying musicology because I, I love music history and I love writing. And so I, I finished that degree, did some adjunct work and, you know, followed it until I thought, OK, this is as far as I want to go. Um, because I'm seeing that the opportunities like keep getting smaller and smaller and um, the, the opportunity to what I considered like to make a big difference in the world, um, in order to do that, I needed to step away from academia. Hmm. I, I really appreciate that perspective when you say the opportunities were getting smaller and smaller, because I think sometimes that transition can feel forced and sometimes it can feel very natural, right? And it sounds like you just kind of got to a natural point where you realized that 
you know, the, the path, maybe the path had run out or maybe the path was just pointing you to something uh, different. And was it, did it, did it feel that natural at the time or was it a kind of tortured decision? Um, I will say I, I definitely struggled with uh, stepping away from, from teaching. I was at Youngstown, uh, Youngstown State University and I really, really enjoyed um, my position there. Uh, but again, you know, you, you start seeing that, okay, this is kind of reached the the top of where I can go with this particular career. And um, I want to make a good living. I want to be able to um, really enjoy what I'm doing on a larger scale. And so it was a difficult decision to leave. Uh, but I definitely don't regret it because the doors that opened when I made the decision to carve my own path, um, the doors that opened really uh, brought some wonderful things into my life. Is that when you started a private studio? Or I had kind of been doing that in conjunction. So, you know, this was back in my uh, late 20s when I had like the energy of 20 people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, I was balancing all of these different um, positions, you know, working for different music schools um, as an independent contractor and, you know, then starting my own studio and working as an adjunct. And then I finally just, you know, decided, you know what, I need to start putting all of my attention in one place, <laughs> one place so that I can really get good um, at one thing. And that's what I decided. And I, um, I poured myself into my own studio starting in 2010. And I haven't looked back. That's wonderful. So then and then when did the transition to uh, consultant come into play? So I would actually consider myself more of a coach than a consultant. Mm -hmm. um, there's like bizarreness about those two terms, but it, it started to happen um, way back in 2012 when I decided to start a blog. And uh, I did that because I had been reading all these fascinating things um, from these really amazing bloggers out there. And I thought, you know what? I love that they're sharing their ideas on the internet so that other teachers can learn from them. And so I started doing the same thing. and. Uh, I would post ideas about, you know, teaching and, and, you know, just talk about what I was doing inside of my studio. And then I naturally started um, talking more about the business side of owning a studio and, um, you know, how I would market my programs, how I would communicate with parents and, and just started talking about those topics. And I'll admit, I was a little nervous about that at the time thinking like, oh, what are my piano and voice students and parents going to think about this teacher who's like telling all the stories about, you know, how she runs her business. Um, but they were really supportive of it. And I found a lot of joy in doing that writing. And over the years, um, I had a lot of teachers who would email me and ask me clarifying questions about a blog post that I wrote. Um, and so that's how I fell into coaching. And it's been it's my favorite job. <laughs> That's wonderful. So I'm interested, what is the distinction between coaching and consulting? How do you, how do you distinguish those two words? Oh, I love this question. Responsibilities. Yes. Yeah. Well, hopefully I can give a really good answer to this. I feel like I need to look up a blog post now. I'm going to panic. Mm -hmm. No. So um, the difference between um, a coach and a consultant is that a consultant will typically tell you what to do. Um, they're prescriptive. They they take the problems that you you come to them with and they say, okay, here are the solutions that you can use. Whereas a coach will 
stay curious and ask questions. So it's really about um, knowing what questions to ask in order to guide a client towards finding the answer that works for them. They already, most of the time, they already have the answers, but there's fear that's holding them back about, um, you know, being able to be honest with themselves about what needs to happen. And so as a coach, our, our job is to ask the right questions and to stay curious and, and to be there um, to, to guide someone so that they can come to the, the decision that they want. And why do you think music teachers in particular need coaches like you? Well, there's a lot to say here. <laughs> um, <laughs> as somebody who has two degrees in music, um, I found myself a bit frustrated, you know, when I opened my own studio because I realized, like, I have no idea what to do to run a business. And um, I think there's this, there's this really large issue that, that is, um, you know, rampant in universities and colleges that, um, you know, we basically have, I would say, two main degree tracks. We have the music education track. And so we're kind of left on our own to figure this stuff out. Mm -hmm. um, thank goodness for the internet, because <laughs> I can't imagine not having a place uh, where we can research and, you know, figure out what possibilities are out there and be able to have discussions with other teachers. But I think that's one of the, the reasons that um, so many music teachers out there are seeking coaches uh, because they feel like they just don't have the tools that they need. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to, to learn about your advice here for teachers on how to create systems that streamline your music studio. Um, I'm wondering before we kind of jump into your 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 coaching um, experience in this particular area, is there a philosophy that's that drives you as both a, a teacher and a coach, uh, what are your your guiding values in each of those areas? I think I just touched on one um, accidentally. I should have saved it for this question. But <laughs> <laughs> um, the guiding principle for me um, at this point in my coaching career is to stay curious yeah. and um, and and not to immediately jump into uh, trying to give somebody a solution to a problem. Um, to to be able to ask questions that allow us to explore, you know, what is the what what is behind this issue that you're facing? You know, what are some of the things that are happening internally rather than just looking for external solutions? So I would say um, staying curious is my number one uh, goal as a coach, and um, I. I I, one of my favorite authors, I'm probably going to bungle his name right now, is uh, Michael Bungay Stanier. I know I'm saying it wrong, but he's <laughs> he's an amazing coach in Australia, um, and I love the way uh, he encourages coaches to you know keep asking questions. So I think that for yeah. me is my guiding principle. Now, as a coach, are you involved with the initial? Uh, sort of launch of, of, of a business, of a, of a teacher studio, or do you stay with them? Do you develop a relationship with them over time? 
So it depends on um, the client. So I've I've done uh, I've worked with people in all kinds of different situations. Oftentimes, um, when when I'm doing one on work one on one work with people, it's because they already have a business established, um, and they're facing you know some growing pains, or they've reached a point where they're like you know I've 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 reached a certain amount of success, and I feel like I don't know which direction to go now. This success that I have right now is okay, but I'm finding myself, um, you know, overwhelmed, stressed, uh, and just not really happy with the direction that my career is going. So I have a lot of people who are established business owners who come to me, and um, I also work with uh, some clients who are brand new and they, you know, they're opening a new studio, they're starting a new project, maybe they're launching uh, an online course for students or an online course for teachers, and they're trying to like build the foundations of their business. So I've worked on both ends. Mm, Interesting. So let's delve in a little bit to to your specific approach around systems and business management strategies. Obviously, we have a a very soft spot in our heart uh, for teachers who look for studio management software like Duet. Um, but I know that that's not the only solution for teachers. Um, we hope that it's a solution that, that many teachers consider and that works really well for them. But how do you approach the, the task of mapping out systems and business, business management strategies with the teachers that you coach? Um, Maybe I know that's a big question. So maybe let's start with some some smaller questions as we get into this this discussion. For example, um, what I mean, you you've actually just touched on this a little bit, but what what are some of the main goals that clients have when they come to work with you? Oh, there's so many. Um, you know, a lot of people come to me wanting to know how to market a specific service or product. Um, so we'll have, you know, big discussions about how to build marketing plans and strategies for that. And uh, on the other side, you know, a lot of uh, clients will come to me saying, okay, you know, I'm having problems with um, figuring out how to streamline my invoices or to streamline, you know, my, how am I tracking expenses? Like, I just feel like I'm lost in these business admin tasks. So there's a variety of, um, of strategy work that I do with people just depending on what their personal business goals are. And, and what's, I mean, are invoices and streamlining invoices and the financial element, is that really what you find to be the biggest challenge for independent music teachers? Or is what what are the other categories of, 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 the, of things that trip up music teachers when they're setting up their studios? I think if, um, instead of thinking of uh, smaller categories, I'd actually look at what the larger issue is. Um, because when, when people come to me saying like, okay, this is my pain point. This is where I feel lost in my business, or this is um, a source of a lot of frustration for me. Uh, what we start to realize is that um, they just don't have systems in place to streamline any of their processes. So when something arises in their business, you know, an issue with a client or an issue with, you know, some type of an admin task or questions about marketing, they're just, instead of thinking long-term and trying to build out like a, um, basically an SOP, (laughs) a standard operating procedure um, that they can follow, they're they're just looking at that single issue and trying to put out a fire. Mm. And so, oh, please go ahead. 
Okay. And, and and in doing that, it's like they're they're constantly having to run around with buckets of water, putting out all these tiny little fires rather than thinking, okay, well, how can I how can I like build a hose to do this with? How can I make this easier for myself so that I I don't feel like I have to um, you know, micromanage these tiny little things? How can I create a process that when something like this arises, I go, oh, okay, sweet. You know, I've seen this problem before. Step number one is this. Is there a difference between the way music teachers approach these challenges of running a small business and, and anybody else? Do you think there's a, a special sauce just for music teachers? Or do you think that some of these principles are, are could be applicable to, to any small business owner? I think a lot of the principles um, could be applied to most small businesses, but I, I, I also do feel that as music teachers, we're in a really unique industry. And um, I would say that a lot of small businesses out there don't have to uh, don't have to have uh, the deep client relationships that we typically have as teachers. Um, and and another thing that makes our industry just like way unique um, is that with each client that we have, assuming that you're teaching, you know, kids, um, with each client, each student that you have in the studio, you actually have two clients. You have the parent and you have the student. So you've got this like extra layer (laughs) that you have to uh, be able to navigate. And the majority of businesses out there, maybe aside from, you know, dance studios and and other things like that, they, they don't have that extra layer. Yeah. No, that's a really that's a really great insight. You have that sort of triangular relationship between the parent and the student and the teacher that doesn't exist in every small business interaction. And lots of lots of personalities, lots of feelings. You're working with children, of course, which isn't typical for every small business either, right? So, um, no, you're right. There's there's a lot of unique elements to this particular industry. Um, so, would you would would you share with us how uh, you might advise a client to establish a marketing strategy, for instance, to help them them grow their studios. I I assume that growing a studio is something that a lot of teachers talk about with you. It seems to be a pretty universal goal, right, for, for managing their businesses. Um, what kind of process do you go through when, when a com- client comes to you with a particular coaching need like that? And what, what might you suggest to them? Okay, great. Uh, so probably the first thing that I do with um, any private client who comes to me with marketing woes, <laughs> as it might be, is to to start examining what they've already been doing. Uh, so we we take a, a a long look at you know what does your current marketing plan involve, um, and and I'm not just talking about online marketing. I know that a lot of people think um, you know all I want to focus on is like social media or your website, but there's there's so many different ways to market your studio. Um, so we examine, you know, what are you doing? Um, what are you doing on your website? What are you doing on your socials? Uh, how do people find you when um, when they're trying to look for uh, a voice teacher or a piano teacher um, or whatever ukulele teacher mm-hmm. in their area? Where where are you findable? You know, and then thinking about what does your relationship look like with the businesses in your town? If you're teaching in person lessons and you are part of a town um, or a city, you know, what does that look like? How are you engaging with other businesses? Um, and how are you getting yourself out there and known in the community? Yeah. 
Um, so, so once you do sort of an audit of, of what the client has already done and where they are in their community, in their, the larger context of, of where they're living or who their audience potentially could be, what, what do you advise them to do next? Once we get a clear idea of, you know, where some of the gaps might exist and, and we, we can understand like what you just said, you know, who are their ideal clients? Who are they wanting to work with? Then we start, you know, mapping out. A, a plan. And it starts by identifying what are the goals of your business? Um, and, you know, thinking even larger than that, what are your goals as a human being? You know, how how do you want to be able to live your life? <laughs> um, how do you want that business to support those goals? So we, we get really clear on that first. That's step one. Um, and then the second step is to start thinking about what are the strategies? What are the long-term plans that will enable you to reach those goals? So the strategies will take those goals and then break them down into different areas. So for you know, example, like if if a client's goal is to increase their rosters, um, then we might uh, start defining the areas in your business that need attention. So it might mean looking at the student inquiry process. Uh, it might mean scheduling time in your week when you're focused on reaching out to people in places where you can find new students and, and you know, making sure that you have systems in place for marketing and advertising. Um, and then we're going to break it down even further and we start developing tactics. Um, and those are the doable tasks. So those are the things that you're actually going to check off on a list. Yeah. Uh, so things like, um, okay, so getting new reviews on your uh, for your website, um, distributing advertising materials in your local community, uh, reaching out to clients to talk to them about referral programs. Um, and what's lovely about this this like three tiered layer um, is that you know if we can get really clear on the goals and we start to identify the strategies and then we create these tactics. If a tactic doesn't work, then you can let go of that. Um, and what that means is you know if a tactic doesn't work, it doesn't mean that your goal isn't good and that it isn't reachable. It just means that it's time to switch tactics. Yeah. So um, by looking at it. In, at, at a marketing plan in this way, um, it feels much more focused uh, and you get a really clear idea of what I need to do in order to reach a goal. And typically, how long would you work with a client on something like that? Is, is, I mean, is that a conversation that extends over a couple of weeks, a couple of months? depends on the client. Um, it de and depends on you know what type of a business they have since I've um, worked with teachers who have, you know, like single independent teacher studios. Um, maybe they teach out of their home. Maybe they have a commercial space. And you know, I've worked with like multi-teacher studios and, um, you know, people who are more focused on online, um, maybe products instead of services. So that answer really depends on their type of a business. But um, it, it, I would say anywhere from three to six months. And I've also worked with some clients, um, you know, for a year or so mm -hmm. uh, to really get things up and moving. And what are the major changes that you've seen since teachers have started to move online a little bit more? I mean, I, I assume something like marketing and communications changes, right? When when teachers are are um, targeting online students instead of in-person students, is that a shift that you've had to make in your own business to learn about how you know effective online marketing techniques as opposed to finding people within your local area to teach? 
Well, I can speak to this from a personal perspective. <laughs> when um, when my main goal was to work inside of my studio, um, I, I would say that the majority of my marketing was uh, referral marketing. And, and then also, you know, getting into like local newspapers or magazines and, and really just having conversations with people, like talking mm -hmm. to people when you go out um, and networking with people. Um, whereas when I made the decision to uh, start being a coach for music studio owners, my marketing strategy completely shifted. You know, I I went from being in this like community space where I could have conversations with people if I went to a restaurant to being all online. And so my marketing strategies really had to shift. Um, and I had to start to understand like what kind of content um, I could put out there in order for people to get an idea of you know, who the heck is this person and why does she keep talking about, um, you know, business stuff for studios? So um, being able to uh, gain the trust of, of people um, in an online space, especially if you are a music teacher, can feel a little strange at first. But I think one thing the pandemic has taught us is that we're actually a lot better at this than we think. And if we can learn to show up as ourselves in the online space and, you know, it sounds buzzwordy, but to, to be authentic uh, in the online space, then there are many opportunities out there to build fabulous businesses. I'm curious about another important aspect of running a music studio, which is, of course, setting up an inquiry process for collecting new and interested students. And, um, you know, from our point of view at Duet, we do automate the inquiry process for teachers who build their studio websites with us or use our, our widget on their studio website to funnel new inquiries into their account. But uh, how, what sort of standard operating procedure do you advise clients to embrace when they're wrestling with this, this question of how to, how to attract and to, to capture new student inquiries? This is a really good question, and I think that this is an area where um, if you don't have a specific process in place, you can, one, start to feel overwhelmed, <laughs> and two, um, you can drop the ball on things and, you know, lose out on potential clients. So um, I love the fact that Duet, uh, you know, makes the inquiry process easier by having like good forms on the websites and, and things like that. And where, where I think that the issue lies for a lot of teachers is that um, they're not getting uh, those people over to those forms. Um, and, you know, nowadays we find ourselves marketing in all these different places. Um, you know, we've got social media accounts. We have, uh, you know, on multiple platforms. Um, and inside of that, you have, you know, people sending you DMs <laughs> or you have people like tagging you in groups. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're having these private conversations with people or, um, you know, your, your phone number has been passed around, um, you know, via referrals. Um, and, and so you're, you're getting all of these 
inquiries, these initial inquiries in in all of these different places. So you you feel like you're juggling a whole bunch of balls uh, because you're having to answer things in DM, um, via voicemail, and in your email, um, and and all of these different areas where people are coming in. And so I think the issue with a lot of inquiry processes that I see is that rather than funneling everything towards that first step that you've probably carefully designed <laughs> in order to make it easy for you um, to track your students, um, we, we kind of let people skip the line. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we find ourselves kind of cobbling together these um, you know, these emails or having these conversations where uh, you didn't get the student info that you needed. Um, you didn't, you know, you didn't get them to pay for that first lesson. Um, and and then, you know, you find yourself having to track all of this stuff that really, if you can funnel it all into one area, you can get it all tracked in one place. So that's what I typically look at when you, when a teacher is like overwhelmed um, with the inquiry process, or maybe they just don't have one, we, we start examining like, well, how do you want to be able to track all of this stuff? Yeah. Let's look at the possibilities. Inquiry processes will be different for um, each studio, especially depending on like the type of studio that you have. Um, you know, if you have uh, a, a model um, that has a lot of students in your studio versus um, a model or maybe if like you're in group lessons or versus like maybe a boutique model that, you know, is really selective about the clients that you're working with and has like a very high end offer. So like the inquiry process is going to look different for those types of businesses. But in general, I really, I do encourage people like have a place where all this information lives (laughs) and make it as easy as possible for your clients to take that first step. Make sure that you're outlining the process so that when they go to your website or when they have that first conversation with you, whether it's via um, an email, private message, or over the phone, that you tell them how the process works. Yeah. That way, they they um, they know what to expect, and it's not a surprise when you ask for a payment, or it's not a surprise when you send them this intake form that has twenty questions on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In your own experience as a student, you have two degrees in music. Uh, what? is the most memorable experience that you had with a teacher? Who is someone that really stood out to you as somebody who not just taught you about music, but perhaps helped you learn about life and shape your character as well? Well, you know what? This is a good question. And I'm so glad that you had kind of sent this to me ahead of time. So I had time to think about it. (laughs) Um, I'm actually going to take this back before the degrees. Um, And the, the teacher that really influenced me was my choir teacher in high school, Mr. Skrupa. And um, the thing that sticks with me the most is um, the saying that he would uh, use in class all the time. And um, he would say to us, don't muck around in mediocrity. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And um, it just, that phrase, I mean, he would use it Oftentimes, because you know we're goofing around and we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, um, or we we weren't. He knew that we weren't bringing our best 
um, yeah. you know, bringing our A game. And so sometimes it was about that, but um, I've carried that phrase with me throughout life um, when, you know, I had to make difficult decisions and, and to think about, well, how can I, how can I shift out of this mediocre state that I find myself in? Yeah. Um, and so that's always stuck with me. I even made it into a social media graphic and put his name on it, you know, <laughs> which I'm not sure that if he's seen it, because I don't think he's on social media, but his wife is. So that reminds me, I should probably send it her way. Are you in touch with him? Um, I have been in touch with him a little bit when uh, when I had graduated. It's been a really long time yeah. since I was in high school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but a couple years back, um, I did send uh, him an email um, when I... Uh, did my first show, did my first musical in 13 years. Um, and uh, it happened to be a show that I did with him in high school. Um, so I had reached out to say, hey, um, you won't believe it. <laughs> but here I am doing Brigadoon again. <laughs> 